Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. We are coming to you after Teofimo Lopez upset Vasily Lomachenko to unify the uh, lightweight titles on ESPN it was a great night of boxing the fight the fight was good I, I wouldn't say it was the it was a great great fight but uh, pretty big news for Lopez to beat the guy who a lot of people thought was the best pound for pound boxer in boxing going today so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna bring on in a, in, a, in a few a uh, few minutes here, I'm going to bring on Carlos Toro and Robert Silva, who are our boxing guys. If you've been on Fight Game Media, you you will see their work. Really talented fight, uh, talented boxing writers, and it, it's it's so funny because from a uh, historic historic standpoint, <clears throat> you know Robert has been following boxing since the '70s. Uh, and Carlos is, 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 you know, he, he's fairly young, but he still has a real depth of knowledge. So it, it's fun to talk to, to two guys who are, you know, basically, uh, watching a sport from, from different viewpoints from, from a time timeline. And, uh, so I, 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 we'll bring both of them on. We'll talk about Lopez and, and Lomachenko. We'll break down the whole thing and talk a little bit about, you know, what's upcoming in boxing and also, you know, what's next for Lomachenko? What's next for Lopez? What are they going to do after what was a pretty big night for boxing? Also, we're going to bring back Carlos because he and Justin recorded a segment earlier today about the B-Block finals for the G1. And they're going to break that whole thing down. If you listen to their show, uh, which came out late last night, uh, early this morning, it was uh, actually by the time you're listening to this, it would have been yesterday. I apologize for that. I, my timeline is, is screwed up these days. But they had Fumi Saido on their show to talk about the uh, the A Block Finals, and you know Fumi's just amazing person to to talk about this stuff with. He, I think he was actually at the show live, which saw Kota Ibushi. Uh, win his match Jay White lost his so Coda goes to the finals and also uh Justin and Carlos will be back again soon after you listen to this podcast they'll be back because they are going to bring on Chris Samsa and they're going to talk about the finals of the G1 you know we we've been on the G1 
Carlos and Justin have done such a great job with the G1 cast. I think this would be, I think when they reach the final show, I think it'd be something like 16, 16 or 17 podcasts that they've done. Now, some of them have been solo podcasts on this feed that you're listening to. And some of them had been segments like what you're going to hear today. They're, they're, they'll, they'll be the last segment on the show. But that's a that's a lot of work. Those guys worked really hard on this. So I hope if you've been following the G1, I hope that you have enjoyed their stuff. And uh, and yeah, we're almost done with it. And it's been quite a ride. And, and I hope you've also read Chris Aiken's pieces on Fight Game Media. He's written a piece after every block show. And he's writing them. I think he had a, you know, he, he wanted to write it like sport. You know, the, 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 this, is a, this is a tournament that is booked like sport. And I, I think, you know, he really hit his stride, you know, about, I would say about, I don't know, about halfway through, I th- I, you know, he really started to get into the pieces in, in the way and the style that he's writing and really, really great stuff. So thanks to Chris as well. Um, and I know that uh, we mentioned <laughs> we were going to slow down the audio a little bit after the G1 is over. Maybe not so much this week. I think there will be a few more shows out than our normal three. Uh, maybe there'll be four. I'm, I'm uh, unsure. But there is a reason for this. And the reason is because we did a book club today, a book club Zoom chat. And, you know, the, the Fight Game uh, podcast Facebook group that I'm always talking about we had decided that we're going to do this this book club and we'll read a book and we'll have a Zoom chat at the end of the the end of the month after the book is over. And you know, the first book was uh, Keith Greenberg's Too Sweet um about the uh the inside the indie revo- indie wrestling revolution. It's about, you know, the last several years of of indie wrestling and what sort of created AEW and how New Japan fits in and ROH and all that. And lo and behold, our buddy Nick McMood sees Keith at the GCW, the collective, which was uh, last weekend. And he's like, yeah, you know, Keith wants to do it. And I was like, what? Like he wants to come on the Zoom chat? So we did that earlier today and I will put that out in podcast form during the week. So we'll have an extra show and then our... uh I haven't decided if it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday. It's going to be one of those days. But the other one of those days is uh, a pretty special show with a special guest. And I will, that's all I will say now. But uh, I think it'll be uh, pretty fun, especially if you are a UFC fan. So all that stuff is coming up. And, you know, we're, 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 we're pretty busy right now. So uh, I hope, I hope that people are enjoying the audio and, uh, you know, our attempts at, at covering something like the G1 in a, as close to a, a sort of a sports journalism way as possible. And I'm just, you know, I, I just love what, uh, what these guys have done. So just, I've, I've had a blast, you know, I, I'm, I'm producing a lot of podcasts too, because Justin and Carlos are, are on it and, and I need to get that stuff up as, you know, just as much as they need to record it. But it's been some really good stuff. I think the website has actually benefited really from us the way that we're covering these shows. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to have more writing. I, I don't know if you've seen, 
uh, Andrew Marshall's pieces. He's written two on WWE. One was on uh, a lot of the secrecy that happens when some of their talent gets in trouble. And then a little bit of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, but, you know, it seems like it's serious stuff. And WWE's like, oh, you know, we're not going to listen to that. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And, and so he writes about that. He also wrote about the Raw Underground segment on uh, Monday Night Raw, which looks to have been at least paused for the time being, if not stopped. And he writes about that whole thing. So got a lot of stuff going on on the website. I think you'll see more content from us. You'll see a little bit more varied content. You'll see, you know, Ryan Frederick has been writing the Monday columns for the UFC. I think he's going to write a little bit more, especially when it comes to these big shows. So UFC 254 is coming and I think he's going to have more stuff around the, the big show. So look for more stuff from Ryan. We also have uh, uh, another writer coming on board. So the website should have more posts coming on it. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to become the next big blog or the next big website out there. But I do like the website having content and being a place for good writers. Like, I think that's the, the kind of the thing for us is I just want to showcase good writing. And I think there's just so many people out there who are doing it for a passion and they're doing it for a hobby. But also, you know, if we can be a little bit of a liaison to where, you know, someone's writing gets seen and all of a sudden there are other opportunities, then that's that that's stuff that I really dig. So, okay. So before we get to the segment with, uh, Robert Silva and myself and and Carlos Toro talking about the uh, the fight that just happened. Want to talk about Indeed? Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other websites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay what you need. And you can pause your account at any time with no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now, indeed.com slash blue wire. Offers valid through the end of the year, December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, I'm bringing on my boxing insiders here Carlos Toro and Robert Silva. Fellas, we saw a really good boxing match. There were moments where I didn't know if we were going to see a good boxing match, but then this fight picked up really well. Teofimo Lopez beats uh, Lomachenko, unanimous decision, and he is now uh, he's now the man. Like before, we actually go into what happened in this fight. I'm actually really curious about what your scorecards were. I think I saw Carlos's scorecard. I think he had. Uh, Lopez basically seven uh, was it seven five yes one fifteen to one thirteen Robert what did you have for your scorecard one sixteen one twelve okay I think I think those scorecards are very fair I basically had it 
six, five, and one. I couldn't figure out who to score round seven to. Um, so I had that as a draw round. But I we all had Lopez winning this fight. So mm-hmm. the fact that he won this fight in the you know, the first six rounds was a bit of a, a star making performance. The twelfth round, I think he's he basically put his stamp on uh, on it in, in that twelfth round, the way that he fought. But we had him winning. the The scorecards were like really wonky to me. The I, I think the um, uh, I, I wrote them down here. Julie, so, Julie Letterman had it one nineteen one hundred nine, which uh, is ridiculous to me. Uh, Weisfeld, I believe, had it one sixteen one twelve, and the third judge, I forgot his name, had it one seventeen one eleven. So. 16-12, I think, it yeah. is definitely right on the money. Um, anything under that, I think, is right on the money. I'm not sure I agree with 17-11, and I clearly don't agree with 19-9. Where, where, where do... I mean, you're, you're bas- they're, they're basically saying that from rounds uh, 8 through 11, Lomachenko did not win all of those rounds when I thought he clearly won all of he, those rounds. He won those rounds. I don't know what... Uh, Julie Letterman, like her uh, dearly departed father, are two of the most overrated judges in the history of boxing. Um, Carlos, you remember there was a lot of HBO fights where he would score the fight, and I'm like, what are you looking at, Harold? Like with yeah. the James <laughs> Tony Vasily Giroff fight. He had Giroff winning nine rounds in that fight. In no way in the world. So, and her, she, uh, she does, <laughs> she's a lot like her father. It was very bizarre because if you actually look at like the round by round breakdowns of all three judges, by the time we got into the eighth round, it was like essentially decided because not a single judge gave it to gave a single round to Loma uh, for the first seven rounds. So it was like, I don't know what the judges, especially Steve Weisfeld and Julie Letterman were thinking, like, how do you not give, you know, the eighth, ninth and tenth rounds to Lomachenko? It was very, very bizarre. I had it like one four, like one oh four to actually no, my mistake. One oh five to it was essentially like six to five going uh, to the last th- round, right? Yeah, going to the last round. And I thought Teofimo Lopez had a phenomenal final round to kind of put that final stamp on what is a career defining victory. I mean, we have to start considering Lopez as one. The, the top guy at lightweight and also a, you know, a guy that deserves to be in the top 10 at, you know, pound for pound. Now, exactly where he lands on that top 10 pound for pound is that's another debate, but he definitely deserves consideration, especially beating a guy a lot of people thought who was number one pound for pound. Carlos, you can make an argument he's fifth or sixth because the top four, he, he's not better than Canelo. He's not better than Inouye. He's not better than Usyk. He's not better than Crawford. I would, him and Spence would be battling for the number five spot. And I got to see how Spence looks in December when he fights Garcia. But definitely he's five or six and could go further up if he could. I mean, especially if he fights the winner of Taylor Ramirez or if he fights Ryan Garcia or Devin Haney next. Sky's the limit for Tiafimo. He's only 23 years old. So I think, you know, uh, I, I don't want to make this about the cards because the right guy won the fight. Yeah. The, um, the, I want to talk about this 12th round because except in, on two of the judges scorecards from what it looked to me was Lomachenko 
sort of knew what he needed to do. Maybe he didn't have enough time to do it, but he had in, in, in rounds eight through 11, it seems like he really figured out the plan, the, the strategy. And I, I was looking at it. So, so we, we end the, the 11th round. Lopez is going back to his corner and previously he was very confident. He had that snarl. He had that look where he was just like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need to cater to you. But at the end of the 11th, that look wasn't there. It was a little bit of like a, uh, uh-oh kind of, kind of look to me from what he was doing. Yeah, and so I was, and he was super tired. And so I'm looking at round 12 going like, well, this is exactly what Lomachenko had to plan. He's going to go out. He's going to, you know, win this round and maybe even get the decision. And yet in that 12th round, Lopez fought the best round of the fight in the 12th round after his corner tells him, look, you know, you're winning this fight. And they, they were absolutely right. They and were so, right. <laughs> absolutely oh, right. Oh, they were. Oh, Julie Letterman may let them know that they were right. That they were right. <laughs> <laughs> the judges told him, told him, hey, tell Tiafimo he could take a break in this round. He's got it. <laughs> so, so uh, I'll go to you first, Robert. Yeah. Did like to me that cements him as a real guy. The way that he fought that twelfth round. I mean, obviously he's a, he's a really good fighter. He's a young fighter, but you know he doesn't have a lot of fights under his belt. You know the he the the one uh, the one really uh, the one contender that or the champion that he fought he he beat him very quickly. But so the level up of competition was like going from eighth grade to the varsity basketball team when you got to face you know one of the best guys going. What what did that twelfth round say to you about Lopez? Told me that he's the real deal. Told me that told me that he that he wants to be great. And he fought this fight as a very good fighter, taking a le- taking that next level up to being a great fighter. Lomachenko fought a horrible fight plan. I don't know. He he fought exactly the way Marvin Hagler did against Sugar Ray Leonard and the way Bernard Hopkins fought twice against Jermaine Taylor, where he gave away the first half of the fight thinking, I don't know what he was thinking. Because um, when he stepped it up from rounds eight through 11, he looked like the Lomachenko of old, but he yeah. gave away the first six, seven rounds. And in a 12-round fight, you can't do that. You could you could have done it back in the day when it was a 15-round fight, but you can't do that in a 12-round fight. And it, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And he didn't go to the body. He didn't land a body shot to the eighth round. Lomachenko was one of the best body punches on the planet. He didn't land any body punches until the eighth round. Had he gone to the body starting in the second or third round, because, Carlos, you saw those body punches began to affect uh, Lopez, and that's why in the 11th round, Lopez looked so defeated going back to his corner. The body punching had taken his toll, but it was too little, too late. Um, so, but that 12th round, a career-defining round and could be the start of a great run for, for Lopez. I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. So I do want to come back to Lomachenko, but I, I want Carlos's thoughts on that twelfth round. Uh, the The comparisons are, are kind of kind of fun because you know of of the stuff that I've covered with uh, the Four Kings, like you know when Sugar Ray Leonard had to turn it up, 
he turned it up. And that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit of. You get this guy, and he's so young, he doesn't have his defining moment yet. And I wonder if this is that defining moment where we look back in 10 years and go, yep, that's that's the round that put him on the path to being you know, a great fighter. What were your thoughts, Carlos? So... I agree everything with what Robert told me. And the one thing that really, really impressed me the most. So at the very end of that 12th round, Loma, uh, Lopez was dealing with like a really bad cut that was like blood was gushing out like from up above the right eyelid. And it was, it was giving him like Tyson, like poor man's version of Tyson Fury cuts that he had last year. Mm. It, but then after the fight started, he, want, he wanted to trade and wanted to fight Lomachenko to the very end. And that... That's what really impressed me. The one thing about this whole run, the last, what, 18, 20 months of Lopez, impressive dominance left and right, every single fight out. The one thing that no one really talks about is the one fight that actually did go the distance for Lopez, and that was last summer against Masayoshi Nakatani. Mm -hmm. And everybody was writing him off after he didn't look, you know, quote unquote, that great and didn't take out Nakatani in, in quick fashion. But I looked at that fight and I've been saying it for a long time now, that fight is going to help Lopez in so many different ways for fights like these, because now Lopez had a taste of what it means to fight 12 rounds and to get into those championship rounds and knowing what to do at the very end. I think that experience helped a lot because by that point in the 12th round, we didn't know who was going to be winning. We all thought it was going to be like, you know, seven, five, six, six, you know, either way. But Lopez recognized that in a 12 round fight, sometimes you just have to be the aggressor just to be able to win the round. I mean, you may not get the knockout, but getting the 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 win on the round is just as important in a fight like this. I think it did more for his legacy than, you know, simply knocking out Lomachenko because it tells us Lopez is a guy who will fight anyone and he is willing to bring the fight to anyone. And Lopez was bringing the fight to Lomachenko this entire, entire fight. Mm. What may, may not have landed a whole lot in that first half, but he was clearly the aggressor and doing a great job controlling the distance with the jab and cutting off the ring at times uh, for Lomachenko. So, Robert, let's get back to Lomachenko. I watched the first two rounds thinking like, okay, this is kind of what he does. And I fully expected him after losing the first round. And and I guess on, on the judges scorecards, probably that second round. Um, what at by the third round, he had to feel like, okay, you know, I do need to to turn it up. And he didn't even really start to do that until the fight was halfway over. Why do you think that was the case? Because, uh, you know, I've heard a few different excuses. Oh, you know, he hasn't fought in, in over a year. Um, you know, he 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 didn't understand. I think I think uh, Andre Ward was trying to say he did what he didn't realize is actually how quick Lopez was. So he was trying to adjust to the quickness. But, uh, you know, the other the, my other thought was like, oh, he just figures that, you know, at some point, he's going to figure him out and take him out. So there, there may be some sort of overconfidence there as well. But what was your opinion on on why that that was the strategy? I I don't understand why he followed the Bernard Hopkins versus Jermaine Taylor, Marvin Hagler versus Sugar Ray Leonard game plan where they wanted to take these guys into deep waters and drown him. 
I didn't understand that. Lomachenko, when he stepped it up at beginning in round eight, from round eight to round 11, had he started fighting like that from the second or third round on, he wins this fight because he started going to the body. He didn't throw a single body punch in those first seven rounds. Carlos makes a great point. Lopez never stopped throwing his jab. He kept pumping that jab. Even when he wasn't landing, he was staying busier with that jab. While Lomachenko, for the first time that I've ever seen him, was running unnecessary movement that my father would call. My father hated fighters that moved and danced for no reason. You never saw Lomachenko dance. He was dancing too much, not giving you the angles that is that that is customary with his style. You know, he, he circles to the right, circles to the left, makes you dizzy. He did none of that in this fight until the eighth round. I don't understand the game plan because legends in the past have used it and it had failed miserably. Didn't understand. Didn't understand that. And um, want to piggyback on what Carlos said about. Lopez fighting the 12th round. He had to fight the 12th round like that because he was fighting a future Hall of Famer. And 99 times out of 100, the judges would have had that fight even or Lomo going <laughs> up, going into the last round. Because when the fight was over, I, I I was smelling a robbery. I was wrong, but I was like, so he, he fought that. Lopez fought the, the perfect fight. And even between rounds 8 to 11, a Garrett, Lomachenko was taking it to him and landing and winning the rounds. But Lopez, like Carlos said, never stopped coming and was landing his own shots. And how often have we seen fighters in that the Lomachenko that we have seen between the 8th and the 11th round? How many fighters have not just physically but mentally quit going up against that type of Lomachenko? And Lopez was more than ready for that version of Lomachenko and willing to even fight him all the way in the final round. Uh, you, 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 uh, three very good fighters to great fighters, Riggin Down, Nicholas Waters, and Gary Russell. They, all, they, they didn't even try while Lopez was given as good as he got. So, Carlos, any thoughts on the strategy and, and why it took him so long to get dialed in? So in the first couple of rounds, first of all, I, you know, I perfectly knew that Lomachenko was not going to do much in the first few rounds. I thought that it was going to be all part of the game plan, similar to kind of what I just remember as someone who is very close to Lomachenko, Alexander Usyk, and his fight against Tony Bellew, where Usyk wasn't doing that much in the early going, but he was just trying to figure out Bellew's timing, his rhythm, his speed, and then when we get to the third, fourth round... Usyk would turn the dial and then dominate from that point onwards. But there's a part of me that kind of just wonders now, thinking about hindsight being 2020, does the layoff, the fact that his body is not what it used to be, he is coming off of a surgery for a torn labrum a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and the accumulation of fights between amateurs and pro, that's more than 400 fights. At some point, it's going to catch up to Lomachenko. And even before this fight against Teofimo Lopez, we all knew Lomachenko was small for a guy at, mm-hmm. at lightweight. He he's fits more naturally at super featherweight than at lightweight. But there was the prospect of being a three-division champion waiting for him. And there were fights where his boxing skills were more than enough to sort of overcome the height and, you know, size disadvantage that he was facing against guys like Jorge Linares and even some regards Jose Pedraza when Lomachenko fought those guys. But 
it's now gotten to the point where guys at lightweight are starting to be a little too big for Lomachenko. I think he should go back to super featherweight. There's a lot of great fights that he can have at super featherweight and they're, they're doable. A lot of those fighters are either affiliated with top rank or with promotional entities that can do business with top rank. Carlos, can you, do you think he could make 130? Because he was 135 on the dot uh, today. I think he can. I think it, it depends. Obviously, we don't know how Lomachenko's body right. is, but... I think this. I think that him going to 135 was more out of trying to secure his legacy even more, more so than him not being able to make weight. I think he can. I think maybe it'll take a little while longer to get his body down to 130 pounds. It's not a case. It's not a situation where it's like with Mikey Garcia, who was a guy who was a natural 135 and then ballooned up to 147, and then he built up his body to such a point where it's going to be almost impossible for him to slim back down to 135. I think that we can I think we can see Lomachenko go back to 130. I think that for the future as far as winning more titles, I think 130 is the way to go. There's a lot of good fights that he can win at 135. I, uh the the two biggest fights that are easy to make for him at 130, I don't see him winning. Miguel Burchett, which no one talks about, is a beast. And he would come at Lomachenko with even more pressure. And he's a phenomenal body puncher. And uh, Shakur Stevenson, who's only going to get better. Those would probably be the two guys that he could easily face. And maybe he beats Shakur today. But a year or two from now, I don't see it happening. And Burchett, Arab's got to give this guy a big fight. This is the, yeah. this is, this guy is a beast. He gets better with every fight. I love Miguel Burchell, and that would be a tremendous fight, Loma versus Burchell. And, and Burchell is, a, you know, offensively one of the most dynamite fighters in the he's, world today. He's top, he's top five offensive fighters. The only guy that I would say is definitely better than him offensively is Monster Inouye, but he's up there. Offensively, he's phenomenal. All right, so... Where do you see? Okay, we we just talked about you know Lomachenko possibly, you know moving back down. Where do you guys? What do you guys see with Lopez? Uh, he called out Haney. I saw Eddie Hearn is 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 talking about it. I, I would assume that people would ask him about a rematch. I think I saw something where he said you know there's no rematch clause for a reason. What is his next step and where he goes after this? I don't so, think he could make. I don't think he could make 135 anymore. He barely so, made it yesterday. I think he moves up to junior welterweight. Carlos could has more information than I do about this and fight the winner of Ramirez versus Taylor. That's a many many ready made fight for him. They're all promoted by the same people. So before I we we started recording this, I was also peeping a little bit at the at the post fight press conference and Lopez did say he could still make 135 and I kind of saw at the weigh-ins that even though he would look pretty cut it didn't he didn't look like overly drained and uh, which is a good sign because it almost felt like Lopez's time at 135 was just gonna end very very quickly before we could even get the Lomachenko fight so I wouldn't doubt that We'll see Lopez maybe try and secure a fight against Devin Haney. The problem with Haney is that he's got the fight against Yoriorkis Gamboa. And then after that, you know, Haney might have to face the winner of Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell next. So 
And then you have the other title holder at 135, Gervonta Davis. But, you know, you're talking about a top rank versus BBC fighting, you know, 99 times out of 100, that fight's not even going to be entertained, no matter how good it is. So I can see Lopez try and get that fight, uh, you know, get a big fight, 135 pounds. But at the same time, he might also wait for 140 uh, undisputed fight. It really depends on how the situation plays out because the WBO has a mandatory at junior welterweight that they the, the organization is willing to overlook just for the sake of the undisputed fight but after ramirez versus taylor if and when that happens uh, really sky's the limit for you know anything is possible because who's to say the winner just doesn't just move automatically up to 147 pounds and then it's there's a lot of moving variables as far as a fight between the Ramirez-Taylor winner versus Lopez. I would love to see that fight happen. I think that'd be a fantastic fight, maybe one of the best in boxing, but there's a lot to consider as far as trying to make that fight happen. But I I don't think Lopez moving out of 135 immediately is a guarantee. Carlos, I have a question for you. Is it true that Arab wants to match the winner of Crawford, Crawford with the winner of Taylor versus uh? Ramirez because that's what I keep hearing that's the rumor I keep yes. hearing yes that is a that is a fight that's a very marketable fight but I think there will they they want to make that fight happen after they get an undisputed yeah champion. that's what I'm saying the winner of yeah. the Ramirez yes. Taylor fight would move up that's just what I was hearing and you have more information than me on that to fight yes. Crawford and that would be a ready made great fight and Josh Taylor has the potential to be an all-time great. He is the goods. And Lopez versus Taylor. Because I see Taylor beating Ramirez. I really don't see Ramirez beating Taylor. Be honest I, with you. I don't think Ramirez has a shot against Josh Taylor. I think jo- Ramirez has a shot. But I do he agree has with to- you in saying that Taylor does beat Jose Ramirez. And right now, if I were to pick, I think I would pick Josh Taylor. And, and Taylor would give Crawford problems. I mean, I'd pick Crawford, but it wouldn't be easy. And Taylor versus Lopez, what a fight. What a fight! So, I you know you guys are talking about the size thing. Uh, I I saw uh, right right when the fight started, the back of Lopez was so gigantic compared to Lomachenko, and that's when I really realized the size difference there. So yeah, I mean he he is clearly he has definitely has the frame to to continue moving up. Um, so change of uh, of kind of a question here the the covid-19 era of boxing right now i know they're going to try and get um fans in stadiums uh, pretty soon you know moving fights to texas and such right what did you think of the ambiance for this fight i personally and and robert you, you can start but i personally really like even though even though it's slick and there's music and there's lights and stuff i this was the first time where i was watching um a really big fight because obviously you know ufc i've really liked their quaint their you know really um quiet you're, you're really focusing on stuff but here is the first time for a big fight where i was like you know what i really missed the fans this thing deserves to be in front of 20,000 people with raucous crowds from both sides and that atmosphere. I, the fight itself was really good. I really enjoyed the fight, but the presentation, 
I was this is the first time I was just like, oh man, like I was kind of disappointed because there were no fans. If this fight would have been held in Madison Square Garden like it would have been if COVID hadn't existed, that 12th round, you couldn't have heard the nonsensical announcers, the nonsense coming out the announcers' mouths, and you the crowd would have been going crazy. This fight, yeah, did did miss that miss that that atmosphere because the garden the garden crowd would have been rocking and rolling, especially Lopez from Brooklyn. They would have been all on their feet the entire three minutes and rounds eight through eleven. Uh, Russian, there's a huge Russian popula- population in New York, Ukrainian population. They would have come to the garden and. and she cheered heavily for Lomachenko. Lomachenko's always done great business at the Garden, and they would have been rocking and rolling between rounds eight and eleven. It takes away like if you would have based this on a star system, I give the fight three stars. If you had it in front of an audience, it would have been a four star fight. Carlos, you have any thoughts on that? First of all, I love that Robert introduced the star system in boxing because I <laughs> believe me, I do the same thing sometimes with, with fights. Trust me, I like I'm well, we, a had, men- we, we had a six star fight two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I do agree this was a fight that desperately needed a crowd, but crowd or not, did need this fight needed to happen, and it's one of those fights where. You know, I think it the I think its legacy would have been greater had there been a crowd, and it's a problem not just in boxing but in a lot of different sports, even in pro wrestling. Hell, I mean, cheap plug to the G One cast, but on a recent show we were talking about how the Sonata versus Evil match would have been amazing had there been a crowd, but be, uh, had there been a crowd allowed to cheer and everything. But yeah. if but it felt like you know it just didn't quite match up to the greatness the that everything had happened because you know, the people there weren't allowed to to actually cheer but yeah it's a it's a new situation that we have to deal with in boxing they are trying to get fans back in bob Emerson is working on a protocol to introduce fans in in the coming weeks and months pbc is already getting fans back in for the javante davis fight in san antonio later this month and they expect around 10,000 people, you know, given with the limitations and social distancing. So what about the Errol Spence fight? That's going to be with crowd, the crowd. too. Yes. Right? Yes. That will also be uh, with crowds as, as well. So a uh, couple of other things that I wanted to ask you guys uh, before. Actually, mostly just one thing, because we're talking about sort of future fights. What is the... You know, th- this was the fight that I was like looking forward to. Circled it on my calendar. I was not going to miss this fight. What are some of the next fights to close out this year for you guys? And I'll let you go first, Robert. Uh, Maloney versus Monster Noe. Uh Maloney has a chance, a slight chance, but he's a good fighter. I see a Noe winning, but Maloney's no slouch. That should be for as long as it lasts. A very good action fight. Uh, miss me with the with with, with Crawford versus Kell Brook. Kell Brook is dead. <laughs> yeah. This yep, is which was just uh, this which is was Amir Khan. This is Amir Khan all over again. Kell Brook is done. He had two broken eye sockets back to back. He's been very inactive since those losses. They're trying to sell me on this. It's, it's no Crawford's going to kill this guy and finally end 
Brooks' career. Uh, uh, Tyson Fury's next fight is up in the air because the Deontay Wilder fight's gone. Uh, what else? Uh, and you got a lot of bad. You got a lot of bad matchups. Danny Jacobs versus Gabriel Zotto. Uh, Andrade fighting another stiff. I, other than the Noe Maloney. Oh, and then you got Joshua versus Pulev. Come on. <laughs> Maybe yeah, all those those about better fights, but <laughs> right now the oh, and, while uh, Davis versus Santa Cruz looks sexy, it really is really not. Santa Cruz is not it, it is a busy fighter. He would have to out hustle Davis, but Santa Cruz the last time he knocked somebody else somebody out, uh, Carlos was playing golf in high school. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong there. I mean, there's there's Errol Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia yes, in yes, December yes. On, on December 5th. That, that should be depending on uh, Errol's condition following the accident. That could be a that could be a very good fight. Yes. Yes. There's also a fight that not a lot of people talk about, but Nordingo Bali versus Nonito Donaire for Ubali WBC. Yes. The way that, yes. That's a yes. very very good fight. Ubali. Yes. I think many don't rec- remember him. He was the guy that beat Rashi Warren on the Manny Pacquiao, Adrian Broner pay-per-view. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal performance. And Ubali is one of the five best bantamweights today, maybe sort of lower end of that top five, but it's still a very good fight nonetheless. And we were just coming out of, you know, Donaire's magnum opus as far as, you know, phenomenal, like, Hall of Fame-worthy fight against Naoya Inoue. You know, I don't care what anyone says. I mean, Donaire absolutely deserves a title shot after giving us one of the greatest, arguably the greatest Bantamweight title fight in, in history. Well, it's 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 my number one if you, if when you, uh, if you look at my articles on Fight Game Media, that's my number one Bantamweight fight of all time. And, um, I, I was hoping he'd retire after that fight, because uh, at his age, after sustaining such punishment in a fight like that i it would surprise me if he beats ubali i i that to, to me that was his last hurrah he'll be 38 when he goes into the ring against ubali and i do want to briefly super quickly mention next saturday there's a showtime card with a, a couple of interesting matchups sergey lipinets versus Kostio Clayton for the interim IBF welterweight oh, title, which please don't I, I know it. I know you absolutely hate the the, the extra <laughs> interim titles, but the undercard. How do you has- have an interim title when the champion is fighting a month from now against Danny Garcia? <laughs> it doesn't. An interim title originally, Carlos, you know this. Interim titles were were because of if a fighter, if the champion got injured. They didn't want to strip the title. So, okay, we'll have an interim champion in the meantime. And when the real champion comes back, they could fight and unify that title. That's understanding. UFC's used interim titles. Garrett knows this for years because mm-hmm. if something happens, like Conor McGregor or somebody, John Jones gets suspended or whatever, they'll have an interim champion. But to have an interim champion a month before that champion defends the title, these sanctioning bodies, and I don't want to go up on my soapbox. I do it all the time. <laughs> They're robbing fighters, and the prom- the promoters are in it with them. I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And Lipnitz, he's never done anything at welterweight, but he gets a quote unquote world title shot. <laughs> and but I do have to mention, like the undercard: Xavier Martinez versus Claudio Moreiro and Malik Hawkins versus Subriel Matias. Those are really Those good, are good fights. fights. Yes. Very good fights. And Martinez and Hawkins are both promoted by Floyd Mayweather. And 
Floyd Mayweather's younger fighters on that stable have been looking really impressively throughout this pandemic. Angela Leo, who's the new WBO Bantamweight, uh, Super Bantamweight mm-hmm. champion, looked damn impressive in in a fight that really showcased, you know, how, you know, he's got he's a guy that will give anybody at 122 pounds trouble. So that's a that's a good card to follow if you are interested in Floyd Mayweather's younger guys that he promotes. Yeah, he's done he's done an excellent job of developing young fighters in his stable. All right, so um, I just want to uh, let folks know, so Robert, he's got an upcoming series that that he is writing on that we're going to start publishing. We wanted to wait until the G1 was over because we were having a lot of G1 content, and I didn't want the <laughs> boxing content to get lost there. But Robert, um, quickly talk about your new series, and then... In the very near future, I'm going to bring Robert back on because we didn't get a chance to finish the um, the greatest fights of all time. He had published uh, the last several uh, pieces, but again, because of the G1, it was a little hard. But we're going to bring Robert back so we can give it the the time that 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 it deserves to finish talking about that series. But talk about the upcoming series that you're writing. Yeah, um, coming soon. I've already sent several articles to uh, Garrett. He'll be publishing it after the G1's over, like you mentioned. Greatest knockouts in boxing history. And Carlos, you'll be happy. The Cepeda fight is on my list. It didn't make the greatest fights of all time, and it would have had I started <laughs> writing that, those stories now because that fight was, oh, my God. But the knockout will will be in the greatest knockouts of all time. Um, uh, I already I've already written... 41 through 50 Garrett has those and those will go up shortly after the G1's over. Um and so uh, yeah so so we'll bring we'll bring Robert back. Robert give, give people uh you got a couple of pod yeah think you have like four podcasts Man, now. Um I I got a All right. Real quickly I got the Championship Rounds podcast that I do once a month uh with with my friends Tone and Vegas World uh Inc. They're both hip-hop producers but they've been watching boxing for over 30 years each i've been watching boxing for 43 years it's a three-part uh episode and it's very similar to your to your podcast uh garrett the first the first third the first part of the podcast we talk about fights that recently happened like when when next week when we do the podcast we'll be talking about Lopez's upset win over Lomachenko and so forth second part of the, the podcast we talk about the upcoming fight schedule and the third part my favorite part of the podcast we score a controversial fight from the past uh we've done this will be the fourth podcast the first three fights we've looked at the first Ali Frazier fight the Michael Spinks Larry Holmes uh second fight the rematch which was horrible decision and if it's not number two it's number one the worst decision in his in the history of boxing in my opinion pernell whitaker versus julio cesar chavez so we rescore each of us the three of us rescore the fight and we go round by round and then we compare our scores to the judges scores and the judges scores are horrific uh carlos i heard somebody mention on twitter that why don't they have former professional fighters score the fights because they seem to have a better grasp than the judges and i I, i'm I'm totally for it there's been a few uh billy costello former ib uh former world junior welterweight champion he was a a 
a judge for years in New York State after he retired, and a very good one, one of the best. I do have to say that, you know, there are, there are some current judges that absolutely do need to retire, but <laughs> so long as they don't put Andre Ward, because Andre Ward, <laughs> Andre I don't Ward know more what often than not, at. has some terrible scorecard. I don't know what he was looking at. I don't want to look at it. So that's one podcast, and I, I, uh, I got my the one I've been doing for 10 years, World Championship Boxing Podcast with my buddy Logan, where we look you, at... You guys we have been doing that one for a long time now. Since 2011. This Man, is, uh, yeah, that's and, amazing. And we've done over 300 podcasts. We've done 50 of the great... Uh, 50 episodes on the greatest fights in boxing history. And we're almost up to our 150th profile of a legendary fighter, where we look at their three greatest performances called the greatest performances in boxing history. And recently I started a new podcast <laughs> on my favorite wrestler of all time, Brett Hitman Hart, the Hitman Chronicles. And uh, we just published the first match. We looked at Bret Hart versus Ricky Steamboat, March 8th, 1986 from the Boston garden, a very underrated gym. And, um, the two of the greatest baby faces of all time, but this was, this was a face versus heel match, but, Two master psychologists, unreal, and um, you see a lot of Tanahashi and both of them in this match. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so and then and then Carlos, talk about. I know that you're kind of doing a, a, a an early version of a website. You have your YouTube stuff. You're doing stuff for Fight Game Media. There's maybe some podcasts for us down the line. You are one of the busiest guys in the entire business right now. Give it to us all. Yes. So at least in the Fight Game Media, you can listen to me and Justin Nipper do the G1 cast where we've basically been breaking down every single G1 card throughout this past month and also New Japan Strong and the All Japan Champion Carnival. So it's been a super busy month of Justin and I breaking down Japanese wrestling and we just had Fumi Saito on to discuss the A Block Finals which he was present at at Sumo Hall and it was and I have to say this was one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done the one with Fumi and Justin and I we are going to have I guess our final show for now with Chris Samsa discussing the G1 Finals which I'm very excited about and as you kind of mentioned I do have kind of like a website sort of a soft launch on Friday and I guess the full official launch is going to be early next week where I'll be doing some occasional pro wrestling writing and sports writing and boxing writing here and there uh, you know sometimes where I'll interview a fighters and you know I wanted to share that interview and a few thoughts from that fighter and I'll just sometimes post it in there and then I got my YouTube channel Carlos Toro Media where I do a lot of interviews with with fighters with promoters you know right now on the site you know a couple of interviews with Bob Arum with guys like Edgar Berlanga who who fought on the Loma Lopez card fighters like um, Jessica McCaskill who's the new undisputed welterweight champion the new undisputed women's mm -hmm. welterweight champion and this week I'm actually going to have Xavier Martinez in an interview with him who's going to be fighting on Showtime this uh, next Saturday. So pretty busy time for me on pro wrestling and boxing. So so Carlos just mentioned the G1 cast. So by the magic of the Internet, the next segment <laughs> is going to be Carlos and Justin talking about 
the B block final. So, you know, he's in like two places at one time and we're going to throw from Carlos to Carlos. So get ready to hear more Carlos. I I don't imagine that that you're sick of Carlos yet. So we're going to throw from Carlos, Carlos. But also um, just, you know, from me to the both of you, uh, really appreciate you guys being a part of the website. My original goal, we Robert talks about 2011. I think the the website when it used to be uh, fightgameblog.com, I think it was 2009 when I really started getting it together. And one of my focuses was it, it was really about it was really mostly an MMA website. And then I was like, okay, you know, there's not enough people who just want to write about MMA, so I open it up to pro wrestling and boxing, and then and then you know people wanted to write more. And but boxing was just it has just been so so much of my life uh, as uh, you know growing up and watching this stuff very much like Robert, where I would just watch it with my dad. Like I've seen so many fights with my dad, but um, you know it means a lot to me that you guys you know enjoy writing, and I always. And, 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 you know, I always want to provide a platform so that people feel comfortable. Like, you know, there's so many websites out there. There's so many blogs. And I know a lot of the editorial stuff is sort of really a little strict. And But, you know, some of them really allow you to kind of write the things that you want. So that's what I like to do is, you know, let let let, let you guys kind of, you know, flex your muscles a little bit about things that you like. But I just want to say, you know, really appreciate you guys writing because, as writers and as boxing sort of historians, um, you know, uh, th- there are a lot of people out there who are known, and I know Carlos is is kind of you know building his resume, but you guys are at a level where I see some of those top guys, and you know that platform is there for you guys to continue to. To grow and, and start getting credit for the great work that you guys are doing. So I really and we, appreciate and, that. And, and the both of us need International Boxing Hall of Fame ballots. They, they need <laughs> to, to put us on a voting committee. Because I saw some of these clowns with their with their ballots. How do you vote for Joel Casamayor over Andre Ward or... I don't understand it. The guy, I just want. I just want. I just want the ballot so I can vote for <laughs> Ivan Calderon five. Calderon <laughs> should have been in three, four years ago. He's not. Unfortunately, Carlos, he's not getting in anytime soon because so many superstars that have retired are coming up. next year. Roy Jones Jr. comes up, and you could only get three in. But Calderon should have been in already. He's that great. Uh, Rafael Marquez, another guy who's looking out on the end. These guys aren't going to be able to get in because you got Klitschko, Roy Jones. This year you got James Tony on the ballot. So it's Miguel Cotto and Floyd. Yeah, Miguel Cotto and Floyd and Andre Ward all are on the ballot this year. All right, so uh, yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, go to the G one segment. Before that, it's gonna talk a little bit about bet online. Do either of you guys actually bet on boxing? I have while I'm covering it. Nope. That's not I, have, I haven't made a bet on boxing since uh, probably when my father passed away 20 years ago. Uh, we used to, he, I used to take his suggestions and he would take my suggestions and we won much more than we lost. But after he passed 20 years ago, I might have had one bet. One bet. Yeah, I, some clown actually bet 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 me. They thought daddy was going to beat Mayweather. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. The easiest 250 I've ever made in my life. <laughs> well, 
you know, may, may, maybe this isn't for Carlos because if it, you know, he, if he, it was a bet online, if it was a bet online odds, it probably would have <laughs> probably been like Floyd thirty to one. You probably have to put. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for people who are listening, uh, you know, Bet Online does have all of the the major fights up there. So, you know, if you are a boxing fan and you do like. You know, betting. I mean, if if you had what was uh, Lopez was a four to one underdog, right? You, they would have made big money tonight. You, you was, it, was it three to one or four to one, Carlos? Coming in, it was time. somewhere between three and four to one for you know Lopez being the underdog. So you know, I I, I really appreciate Bet Online because Bet Online's been with our, our podcast, our network of podcasts, you know, pretty much the whole year. But if you are interested in, in betting boxing or, you know, we got a big UFC card coming next weekend. They have all the UFC stuff. The, the you know, the Dodgers and the Braves have a big game coming up tomorrow to see who goes on to the World Series. The Rays just made it. So you got the World Series to bet on. You have uh, football this weekend to bet on. So there's so many things that you can bet on at bet online boxing being one of them i brought that up because uh because of the lopez uh, underdog god so you know head to bet online take advantage of all their great sign up bonuses don't forget to use promo code blue wire uh and uh yeah just go to betonline.ag because bet online is your online sports book experts who started for the Dodgers tomorrow night? If it's Kershaw, put all your money on the plate. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> all right. Let's throw it from Carlos to, to Carlos. Carlos and Justin. The penultimate G1, the B block. Let's do that now. Thanks, Garrett. Hello, hello. It's Justin. You are listening to the G1 cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. And the B-Block finals are in the books, people. Sanada is your B-Block winner. Sanada. Did you guess that? Could you have guessed that? Carlos guessed that last night on our G1 cast special with the great Fumi Saito, which you can and absolutely should download right now if you haven't already. If you like Japanese pro wrestling, download it immediately. And if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the one before, if you have the time, just go back and and listen to yesterday's show. It's almost two hours. There's a lot of stuff in it. Check it out. Okay, so last night, B-Block. So after Kenta upset Naito in the semi-main event, Sanada beat Evil. But Sanada has a win over Naito in this year's tournament. So therefore, Sanada is your B-Block winner because he has the tiebreaker, right? He'll face the A-Block winner and last year's G1 tournament winner, Kota Ibushi, later tonight as of this recording. Just a few hours from now, about six hours from now. So... That's really it. Let's jump into the show with Carlos. All right, we're back. And Carlos, 
You were right yesterday when we were talking with Fumi Saito. We all gave our predictions. I explained why I thought, why I truly believed Naito would win the A block yesterday. Fumi thought that Evil might take it all. And you threw out what we called the wild card of Sanada winning. But guess what? Sanada just won the A block, people. Carlos, how do you feel about that? B block, but yeah. Oh, sorry, it's, B block. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's funny. There, there were times where I kind of think to myself, Ghetto has to have listened to our podcast because like a lot of stuff that I mentioned, like I said Sanada would be Naito as his first win. I said Toriyano was going to be Hiroshi Tanahashi. I said that Yano versus Sabre Jr. was going to have like the best wrestling Yano's had in this tournament. Like either I inadvertently know what Ghetto is thinking or he is listening to this podcast. Like it has to be it. Must be. I don't know, but. If that's the case, then I think they should be paying you a little bit too, right? <laughs> but uh, we, we've been good. I, I think, Carlos, you've been killing it on the uh, predictions. And it's, these uh, tournaments, they make it so that uh, we talk about it in a way where we we kind of are misleading because it's how it's kind of designed. It's designed to mislead. Like at the beginning, the same with Okada too. Sanada and Okada had really slow starts. But that seems to be more of a pattern where G1 starts off, a few of the stars kind of start a little slow, a couple losses, but by the end, it's turned around and mathematically, you know, I didn't expect Okada and Sanada to be where they are at in the tournament now, a couple weeks ago, based on the booking, but we got Gatoed. Yeah, it, it seems like we've been Gatoed a couple of times since the pandemic, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the beauty of the G1. What was the one thing you and I have talked about so many times in the first couple of shows in the G1? Doesn't matter what happens in the first few shows because they will easily be changed by the end of it. And we all thought Sonata was pretty much out of it after the first three matches that he had going over three. And then he just went on on a six and oh run and to to win the B block. I'd have to maybe we can ask Chris Samsa soon but that is this the first time someone's won a block after starting owen three i'm not sure but it's not common it's really uncommon but we'll have to talk with samsa tomorrow about that um did you expect uh this to go how it went this main event at all like it went pretty long it was it was what I expected from the both of them. And at the end of the match, it got pretty exciting, trading a lot of near falls. But that uh, the finish came to me out of nowhere. I, I'm so happy that I can, after almost 90 matches of G1, I can still be shocked. And I was shocked. I really didn't believe Sonata was going to uh, win the match. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so a couple of things. One, uh, we need to address like the second elephant in the room regarding that main event. So... Hiromo Takahashi made right. his presence known. First time in a little more than a month since he lost to, uh, since he lost that tournament final to crown a new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. He made he he got involved in the match, not necessarily to directly aid Sonata, although uh, of course he would in, in some way because they're both stable mates at LIJ, but. So there was a lot of interference. This match had a lot, everything that you have seen from evil throughout this entire tournament. It, it was all on display. This one, lots of Dick Togo interference, not just late in the match, but also very, very early. And Dick Togo was 
doing his best to help evil and to sort of thwart Sonata. There was a time where late in the match where Sonata hit a moonsault and Dick Togo kind of pulled Red Shoes out of the ring. And then it kind of all escalated to Hiromu coming out of commentary and then hitting a super kick on Dick Togo. And then later on, he uh, Hiromu made his presence known later in the match by also taking out Dick Togo a second time and not necessarily distracting evil, but it gave Sonata an opening and pulled off a... He wasn't even like a moonsault, wasn't a skull, and it was a, a simple pin that and it was like i forgot what it was called but it was not even it wasn't a cradle pin maybe justin you can explain it a little bit better but it was but it wasn't you know sonata hitting any of his finishers or submissions now i don't remember the exact cradle it might have been like a european clutch or something i had to go back and look but there were a couple really close cradle pinfalls near falls just uh like sometimes on um i forget what it was like the one that uh Okada has been using Japanese commentary. They call it like shrimp hold. It's mm. like, a, cause it kind of looks like a shrimp, I guess. So, so we could say something like that. Anyway, it was just a sudden cradle and which is kind of why the finish came off so shocking because yeah, like I said, there were right before the match ended, Sonata got a couple of those near falls and I was like, Whoa, they're not going to really, no, because it was really close. It was very close. And, you know, Evil's very good. I think that's one of the things that he doesn't get enough credit for. Him and Okada are great at the 2.99 kick out. Uh, Evil did this earlier on in the tournament in the Yoshihashi match, too, where he can really push it but still kick out. But in the end, he lost. And he's been booked kind of like not a monster, but uh, like he's untouchable. He's been booked. If he's out there with Dick Togo, He's more or less, he had, what, 10 points. So going into it, it's hard to argue against Sonata winning, but he won. Yeah, and and I loved kind of like the early story in the match where before the match, we obviously we have the Suya Naito versus Kenta. We'll get into that in just a second, but I wanted to briefly mention, obviously, Naito lost that match with a big, big shocker. And, we'll, and again, we'll get into it in a second, but evil kind of like a lot of athletes in in that situation where all he needs is to not lose and that what evil was trying to do he wasn't trying to wrestle he wasn't trying to do anything he was trying to stall for time because you know even with a draw he advances to the g1 finals it was kind of like a similar instance where i've seen many many times in sports where teams and athletes they know that the the odds are heavily in their favor and all they have to do is not lose so that's so so that's what they do they play not to win but they play to try and not lose and i love that kind of little uh little stalling storyline in the first few minutes of the match where evil just tried to do everything in his power to try and get the draw and cruise his way into the final yeah, it's like at the end of a basketball game when a, a team is up by a few points and they don't want to shoot the ball. They just want to hold the possession until the clock runs out because strategically, that means that, that gives them a better chance of winning. This was that version of that. Now, 
on the other hand, you know, I was checking Twitter, seeing what people's reactions were to this. And I would say that in English, the reactions were a lot different than the Japanese ones because Japanese reactions were pretty wild and very enthusiastic for Sonata. I was looking at a friend of mine who, as soon as Sonata went, it, they said, um, what was it? I have no choice but to drink. And then I, you know, I went to bed and I, I woke up, checked my Twitter again. And the same person is like, I'm still up. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one side of it that was really excited and happy for Sonata, but I had some other people that talked to me that weren't really into it. I've seen some other comments that were like, it, people weren't into the match. They thought it was boring and a little long. Uh, as far as the match itself, what were your thoughts on it? Very, very good. A lot of very technical based wrestling between the two do uh, the two of them and i think that's and that's more or more or less the style that we sing from sonata throughout this g1 especially against guys who aren't necessarily necessarily high flyers so you know this was good this was good again this is a this is an evil match in the main event so you have to come into it with the expectation that there is going to be a lot of dick togo interference i do have to say out of all the matches that we've had in this tournament, out of the 90 G1 matches that we've had in the last month or so, I think that this match was the one that got hurt the most by not having fans be allowed to cheer and boo. Because I thought if this was in normal times, you can't tell me that Hiromu coming in and super kicking Dick Togo would have blown the roof out of the arena and Sonata picking up the win over evil like that would have blown off the roof of Sumo Hall a second time. I agree. I agree. I mean, it was pretty, uh, there was a good reaction. It wasn't perfect. I mean, we have these circumstances. It's just how it is, but you're right with Hiromu coming in and with just Sonata winning. If you, if you remember, I think it was last year's new Japan cup when Sonata won, do you remember how crazy those crowds were for him? So I think Sonata Really, his fan base is primarily in Japan, and you never know. Maybe they might pull the trigger on him. He is very popular. Ibushi's already won it, so I don't know what's going to happen tonight. But um, but all of this couldn't have happened without what happened before. Now, the match before this was Tetsuya Naito versus Kenta. Kenta won, and because Sanada beat Naito earlier on, that means even though they scored the same amount of points, Sanada had the tiebreaker win. So in the semi-main, we had Kenta, who has been, he's been, he gets some kind of special award and maybe MVP for the B block, but he tarred, just tore through Naito. Some of these kicks and chops were brutal. Um, and he... Again, put Naito away with a cradle. What were your thoughts on this, Carlos? This was a good match. This was, I think this is one of Kenta's better matches of the tournament. As you mentioned, the, 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 some of the striking in this match was absolutely uh, brutal. Um, though I do have to admit that there were times where it did kind of feel like this match probably would have been better off at like around 15, 16 minutes. It did kind of feel like a little bit like the match was dragging on just a tiny bit. And I think that's more of a consequence of the current format of the G1 where a lot of matches are kind of forced to be stretched out just by a several, uh, a few more minutes. But I love to finish in this match. Um, so 
Naito was going to go for a Destino. And then Kenta just like essentially schoolboyed him for like a flash pin and gets the one, two, three. Like, didn't get the GTS. He didn't like counter anything. Like, Naito was in full control up to that point and was just going for a Destino to try to win. And Kenta just took the win, you know stole the win right from under Naito's nose and Naito's facial reactions, his selling over the pin was absolutely sensational. Like he was in like complete and absolute shock and dismay over the fact that he didn't just lose, but he got eliminated because he kind of, you know, in his mind now, he kind of got careless for like a second and that's what cost him the G1. And I, I have to go back and double check, but I believe this came directly after Naito used his newer finisher, this move called Valencia, that kind of uh, looks like a Northern Lights bomb variation. Yeah. He lands that, and I don't know what happened in between, but he turned his back. Kento was able to get himself back up and roll uh, Naito into a cradle and steal the win. So that cell it has even it carries more weight in there because he's using this. He thought this was his new devastating maneuver. It didn't do anything. It actually more or less cost him the match, but we don't know. That's, that's the story for the, the company to kind of decide and weave into the rest of the cards. But yeah. Did you think when Naito lost, did you expect anything to happen in the next match? Were you thinking, Oh man, is Naito out? So when he lost the match, I think to, I thought to myself, Evil's not winning the match, but it doesn't mean that Sonata was going to win. I thought it was going to be either a Sonata win or more likely in the back of my mind, a 30 minute draw. Uh, because, you know, this was a, it almost didn't seem like Sonata, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to give Sonata like a 30 minute draw. It would have protected both guys. It would have elevated Sonata a little bit more. But to go out and give Sonata the win was really surprising. Even for me, who actually picked picked Sonata when we had Fubi on the day before. So very, very pleasantly surprised. I've said this for a long, long time. Sonata is a top-tier wrestler, even on New Japan's roster. But there was always something that you just you just couldn't put your finger on and that's like preventing him from ascending to the top, the absolute top of the card. And I think we finally are starting to see the realization of Sonata's full potential. I'm not saying put the, put both titles on Sonata. I'm not saying put him as the face of the company, but I think he, it'd be a disservice to at least not to at least, you know, not try and pull the trigger and, like actually treat Sonata like a main eventer in hell. This summer has been newer guys or returning guys being elevated to a higher place on the new Japan pyramid. Evil will Ospreay with the heel turn in his new faction coming up. Now Sonata, it, you know, obviously the, the top of the food chain is going to be what it is, you know, Naito, Okada, Ibushi, Sonata, you know, uh, Tanahashi at, at times when New Japan needs them, but at some point you're gonna need to bring in a different flavor to the main event, and I think that we're now starting to see 
Sonata get a taste of that. I'm not I'm not sure he's going to win the G1, but I do think that this is a huge step in the right direction towards solidifying Sonata as a top tier main event level talent. We'll have to tune in tonight. That's the only way we can find out. So we will check it out tonight, come back tomorrow, and we'll see where Sonata's path will lead us and him. And for the rest of this card, um, I mean, the, if you're going to check anything out this weekend from the G1B block, the, the last two matches are are the, the big deal. But the rest of the card was good. I'm just going to go down it quickly. You had Hiroshi Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr., um, Carlos, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. It was, it was good, but like uh, like we said, it doesn't have the same kind of stakes it's had in the past. No, and I think because of the fact that this match was relatively short, this was only like 12 minutes long, so it was good. And these two have really good chemistry and a really, really good sense of how to get the best out of each other, but because there's no stakes... And because they've only gone 12 minutes, I don't think this was their best match. We've seen both of them have better matches than, uh, you know, than tonight. But, you know, if if you got a spare 12, 15 minutes to watch another match from this show, I would probably go with this one. Yeah. And I mean, I like the style. So if it's more of like up your alley, like sensibilities wise, like I, I'll always go out of my way to watch Zack Sabre Tanahashi kind of match. But if, if it's not your bag, you know, that's just how it is. But uh, yeah, like it, it was short too. So that that's that was the first uh, match to kick off the second half of the show. But before that, we had three more matches. This is a yeah, it felt like a short card. We had Juice Robinson and Hiroki Goto. Uh, Juice Robinson, hell of a run. This G one, I think the Goto match um, topped it off. Do you have any thoughts on this one? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it was a good match. Um... Not the best match I've seen out of both these guys. Again, stakes and them only going 12 minutes um, hurt it a lot, but good match, good match. You know, Juice is already like a made man, like it's a mid-carter slash upper mid-carter in uh, on the New Japan totem pole. And we were talking about earlier, you know, a couple of weeks ago or last week, Goto's kind of now into that gatekeeper status where you kind of where Beating Goto in a way solidifies you as someone who should be taken seriously. And and Juice is a guy that, you know, he's held a couple of singles titles in New Japan. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they, you know, if and when they ever split off the heavyweight intercontinental titles and make it separate belts again. I wouldn't be surprised if Juice gets some run with it. The one thing about this match that I noticed when I was watching it. Again, I was I like to you know check gauge what the both sides of the ocean are feeling on this, and especially on the Japanese side. The why well, I, I don't know if it hurt the match or how it affected the match, but this is actually when Hiromu Takahashi came out to do commentary, um, and every other tweet I saw was either about Jews or was about Hiromu. So I don't know if he I don't know how much he took away from the match inside the arena or at home with the fans. Cause a lot of people were talking about, you know, he's, he's charismatic. He's funny. And we haven't seen him for a while. So I don't know how that played into it. That's just me throwing something out there, but that was a part of the match. This was good. Juice has had, like I said, good summer. Uh, like, and like you said, Carlos, maybe a run with the intercontinentals or us title, IWGP us title, depending on where they want to place him uh, going forward. 
Hey, we'll see. But, um, and the first B block match of the night was Yoshihashi picking up his second win of the G1 over Toruyano. Uh, did you, Carlos, were you surprised by any of this or did you see it coming? No, I kind of saw it coming. I mean, it, it is what it is. It, I don't know about you, but it does it does kind of feel like these matches are better to like give either younger guys or the baby faces like a nice little win to top off the the G1 and you know, it's I think any outside stuff is going to probably going to get more attention. And I didn't realize there was a lot of like commotion from Hiromu being on commentary up to the uh, early in the show, but I guess it kind of shows how meaningless the, the the block finals are in some regards. Like I don't like, for example, like the Yoshikaji Toriyama match. Like it was typical Toriyama match, but you know, at that point, it was like, all right, it's. No point in giving Toriano a win. Let's just top off Yoshihashi's relatively impressive G1 with a win. So, I mean, not the best match out of both these guys, but it is what it is. But, you know, I think I think that's kind of an I'm starting to believe it's a necessary part of having a, a good show and kind of keeping that veil of disbelief over everyone so they can enjoy it. Because OK, think like back to basketball again. Sometimes, you know. Even when you play basketball or you watch, I mean, I'm a Knicks fan, okay? I've seen the Knicks get blown out. So I kind of know, I've seen it get blown out live. I know the game is over by around the third quarter, but we can't just end the game, even though as a fan, I really want them to end the game, I, especially when it's on TNT or something. Just finish it. If, there are, if the other team is up by 30 and the Knicks are losing again, as a fan, I want them to finish it, but... You know, as a sport, we just can't do that. We have to let the time run out. And I feel like it's analogous to that. It's we just have to let this happen, even though we kind of know what's going to happen. And it leaves it leaves us with a more like sport feeling with the product about the product. Yeah. And, and you know, not that I'm saying get rid of the matches. It don't matter because, you know, it's still there. They're, they do serve a purpose. Some of these matches like hell we had. You know, Shingo Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki. Both of these guys were eliminated by that point, but Shingo beating Minoru Suzuki extends that program a little bit more. So you needed that Shingo win to justify what we expect would be a rubber match between the two of them for the never open weight title. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying get rid of them, but I'm saying like as a viewer, at times it's hard to really get invested into these matches that are already eliminated. And if there's no angle, like, you know, sometimes paying attention to even stuff like, you know, Hiromu Takahashi joining commentary probably gets your eye a little bit more than the match proper. Yeah, if there's nothing in the immediate future, it's easy for the fans' uh, mind to wander away because, and especially if there's somebody like Hiromu who is, you know, he's he's he's, he's literally eye-catching. He's so colorful. And when, especially when uh, he's speaking Japanese, he's just... He's what people want to listen to right now. He's super popular. I think he might be with Evil, have a match with Evil, Wrestle Kingdom. He might not. He might. I don't know if it's going to do the junior heavyweight thing because he's too freaking popular right now. He's very popular. Yeah, but uh, I'll give it. I don't know if we're going to have a chance to talk about this tomorrow, but I'm just going to say this. I think Hiroma wins best of the super juniors. I honestly do think so. Yeah, that that could be the case. Have they announced the um, rosters? For the they, they have not, but I would think that Hiromu I would, would 
Yeah, like as he like it wouldn't be the it actually be pretty dumb if they had a best of the super juniors and not include Hiromu unless he's still hurt for some reason. But you know he's had over a month off. You know he wasn't hurt that badly by the time he was wrapping up that tag team tournament. So I expect Hiromu in the tournament. I'm gonna lock it in already. He wins the whole thing. You're already on a roll. You might as well put some money down while you're at it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think this has probably been really good for him. He, he had the neck injury and he came back, but he came back slowly. And then the pandemic hit, so he's got extra time off. So, you know, healing is good for your neck. So Hiro, I hope he, he healed up and show us some good stuff coming forward. Uh, so before we wrap the show, so there's one match, one more match on the show. There was Gabriel Kidd went over on Yuya Uemura, Young Lion match. Uh, Kidd used his Billy Robinson style uh, double arm suplex for the pin. Nothing uh, new that we've talked about over the course of the past few weeks, although this was really good. But since we are on the main fight game today, we're going to cut this a little short and talk more tomorrow with you. But before we wrap, I just want to quickly talk about New Japan Strong. Now, I covered that on The Observer last night. The main event was Dave Finley and um, Jeff Cobb defeated Kenta and Chase Owens Bullet Club. So we had two uh, people who were in the G1 Climax who were also on Strong last night. Carlos, did you happen to have a chance to check this match out? I know you've been busy doing the boxing stuff as well. <laughs> I, I did, and tag team match was really, really good. And I'm loving that Dave Finley is getting a big, big rub over here in the U.S., especially with the great matches that he's had. You know, really, it almost seems like it's in the last 18 months or so, Cobb and Finley and, you know, Kenton Chase Owens are firmly planted and firmly established over here on the U.S. side for New Japan. Great, great match. It was, it almost felt like in a way, it was also like a um, continuation to the elimination match that he had the week prior where we had like that 12 man monstrosity of an elimination match. So good win, you know, good match. The rest of the show was solid. PJ Black beating Alex Zane. It was very, very exciting, very fast paced for it being like 10 minutes long. Hiko Leo beating TJP. I like that they're kind of starting to establish Hiko Leo more as a, guy who can beat some good wrestlers on the roster. And then lastly, Mr. Rioso beating Danny Limelight. Uh, I don't want to say like that was maybe the weakest match of the, of the show, but like <coughs> it felt like I do think that Danny Limelight works better wrestling a more fast paced style. And I thought that this match was <coughs> maybe not his yeah. best, but it also didn't help that this was and only like six yeah, minutes. Yeah, I just so. had to catch my throat, but uh, I don't think it had to be Great. It had to be what it was. It had to be above average, which it was, but it didn't need to steal the show. It just needed to let us know that both guys are good, but the main event, you know, there's always that philosophy of, are you going to go out there and try to steal the show? Or are you going to go out there and try to support the company and have a great full card with the emphasis on the main event? Because this, this, these matches were good, but the last match was really good, and everybody looked great. Chase Owens is smooth as hell. Kenta has looked great. This was kind of like, it's weird because it's a, when he started this right before the G1, I think is when they taped all of these matches, but he's getting into the into the zone. He's getting into the rhythm, and I don't know what, uh, I think Dave Finley got injured. I think he injured his shoulder or separated his shoulder and was out for a while. Came back, looks like he's in great shape, and he's moving uh, a lot differently than 
from what I remember, he looks great. The past two matches, him and Kenta look really good together. So. It's, yeah, New Japan's strong. They've never really disappointed with a truly bad episode. All the matches have been good to really, really good. And, you know, this, this is, as we keep mentioning, if you just want a pure, like, wrestling-only match with nothing else, Strong is a great one-hour show. For sure. And, oh, before we wrap, there's some news. There was another All Japan show while uh, the G1 was on last night. And in the main event, we had Suwama, who didn't have the greatest champion carnival. He retained his title, his Triple Crown title, over Zeus, extinguishing the fire that Zeus had coming off of the G1 win. Um, yeah, we haven't had a chance to watch this, but that's pretty interesting. What do you think of this booking choice, Carlos? Man, Fumi and I were, you know, Fumi, the three of us really were talking about this. Like, I think all of Japan could really benefit by putting the company, centering around the company between Zeus and Kento Miyahara. And all of a sudden, like Zeus, when he is arguably at his hottest as far as attention from outside Japan, he goes out and loses his first match, his first title match against Suwama. And I don't like it. I think that this is a match. I thought that you this was a match where you had something going and you needed to keep the momentum going with Zeus and put the Triple Crown on him. Now, there are other guys who have beaten Suwama during the champion carnival and I it's a good chance that those guys will get a title shot but if you're going to put the strap on those other guys that beat Suwama during the champion carnival then why would you have Zeus win the actual tournament if you're going to get one of the other guys to beat Suwama I think it may be for future purposes I just might I think I saw John LaRocca post this on Twitter but thinking about just um, setting up more rematches and rubber matches down the road. So it's kind of a way of like laying everything out. So they're like, Zeus beat me here, but I beat him here. So then that sets up something else down the road. So I, I think that's maybe where it's going. It's more of like a, like a slotting in the, the right uh, parts at the right times. But I'm not sure. Cause we still, the, the kind of booking that they're following the style it really depends on us to wait. It's hard. It, we, we can't make snap judgments. Well, I mean, we can, but, you know, look at the Sonata situation. Mm-hmm. We had to wait. So I think that's the name of the yep. game. I'm willing, I'm willing to give them a chance and see where it goes. But I guess immediate re- reaction, like prisoner of the moment type of thing, I would have put the strap on, on Zeus. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to come back uh, soon and talk about this when we both have a chance to watch it. But um, but you have a busy night coming up. You're gonna cover the Lomachenko and Lopez Faro. All right, Saturday night. So actually, on that note, I'm gonna throw it back to Garrett. So for Carlos, well, he's not leaving you, but I am. So Carlos and I will see you tomorrow, and we're gonna have a guest on. We're gonna have Chris Samza from SportProWrestling.com and VoicesOfWrestling.com, the Super Stats Man. All right, so on that note, we'll see you tomorrow for our final episode of this year's G1 cast.